Hi, everybody. Uh, good morning, New Life. And first of all, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. My name is John, and I'm one of the servants here at New Life. And it is a pleasure and an honor to bring you God's word one last time uh, as a staff member of this church. If I never get invited to come back to speak again or do anything for this church, I know how you really all felt about me. But that's for another conversation. We should probably get into more important things right now. Our church last week began our journey through the book of James, trying to see what a living faith looks like. What does faith look like in the real world? And God's word will remind you and I of the reality of life, that life doesn't all of a sudden become easy or perfect once you become a Christian. It's not smooth sailing, but rather it's one of many hurdles and many difficulties. And so today in our passage, you'll see how a living faith gets you through the difficulties and hurdles in this life. So if you please can, at this, if you can, at this moment, please open up your Bibles to James chapter 1. We will be going through verses 9 through 18. James 1, verses 9 through 18. If you don't have your Bibles, it should be projected up on the screens behind me. Hear now the reading of God's powerful and perfect word. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is the word of God. My parents immigrated from Korea to the States so that my dad could go to Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. I was just born, and my sister was still very young. And one of the biggest areas of contention between my parents were finances. As you can imagine, with my dad being a full-time student and with my mom being the primary caretaker of my sister and I, we weren't well off. And to survive, my mom would go to the local community center to get free diapers and formula to mothers in need. And so what I'm trying to get at is we live check to check, month to month, every dollar counted. But one day, everything was about to change. While my dad was still at school, my mom received a phone call, and this person who called gave her a promise that she just couldn't resist. 
It went something like this. You have been selected. You are eligible for a prize. If you send us $50 right now, you will get $1,000 back. And my mom, she felt as though she were the luckiest woman in the world. This is exactly what we needed, and so she sent that $50. Now, you know exactly where this is headed. She didn't get $1,000, nor did she get her $50 back. But in a moment of desperation, right, my mom got scammed. And I tell you this story because all of you can relate to this story. No, you probably, most of you probably have not been scammed in your life. But all of you know what it feels like to have your back against the wall. All of you know what it feels like to have the weight of the world upon your shoulders. All of you have had moments in life where you begin to question, how am I going to get out of this situation? And the truth of the matter is, in moments like these, we are most vulnerable, aren't we? We are most vulnerable to put our faith in something else other than God. We are most vulnerable to temptation, to seek after sin, instant gratification, to desire a life that is easier and more comfortable, to chase after any escape out of the situation. And so the question we want to ask ourselves today, that we want to ask ourselves is this. When your back is against the wall, when you begin to feel the pressures of life, what do you put your hope in? What do you put your trust in? Do you put your faith in people, in relationships, in institutions, in ideologies, in worldly comfort, or even yourself? It is so easy to be tempted to put our trust in anything else other than God because it gives you and I a sense of control when it actually does not. And so James is encouraging you and I today, keep your eyes on the goal. Remember Christ and God's promises for your life so that you can make it to the end. That's the point of our passage today, because God promises to bring you to the end, run steadfast, resisting temptation, turning your eyes away from what the world calls you to go after. And we'll try to get this point across by going through three points. First, the temptation. Second, the promise. And third, the race. The temptation, the promise, the race. And so the temptation. If you look at verse 12 with me, this verse really anchors the rest of our passage here today. And what we find is that all of us are in a race. It says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The Greek word that is used for crown here is the Greek word that the people of James's time would use for the prize that Olympic winners would receive. Before there are gold, silver, or bronze medals, the winners of these Olympic races, they would receive this wreath crown. And so the picture that James is displaying to you and I today is this. You and I, we're in a race. 
And this race is called life. If you make it to the end, you will receive the crown of life, so remain steadfast. Resist temptation so you can make it to the end and receive the crown of life. And today, it may seem as though James is all over the place talking about money, talking about God tempting us, and then talking about every good and perfect gift. But in reality, what he's doing is just telling us about the temptations we are drawn to. There are three specific temptations that he talks about that we easily fall into when our backs are against the wall. And these three temptations are, one, money, two, diverting responsibility, and three, thinking that you did everything. Money, diverting responsibility, thinking that you did everything. And we'll go through these briefly. Looking at verses 9 through 11, it's all about money. And when a problem arises in our society, there's this belief that whatever problem arises, we can fix that problem with money. If you have issues with plumbing, you hire a plumber. Financial recession, pull from your savings until the market goes back up. Health issues, well, good thing I got the premium health care plan. I mean, we, if, whenever we face an issue, how many of us often think, if I had more money to just figure out this problem? Money gives you a sense of security, a life of comfort. And if you read, if you remember the readers of James, they were the Jewish and Israelite Christians that were scattered all across the Roman Empire. And what James is saying to these Christians of his time is this, I know many of you are struggling. I know a lot of you moved without a job lined up. I know you are in a foreign place, but I promise you, money is not everything. It is not going to save you. Money can fix a lot, but money cannot cover. It cannot heal. It cannot save you from your brokenness. So don't sell your soul for a false security. How many of us today have put our hope in money more than we probably should? And the way that James argues that this idea of money isn't everything is by simply showing us that wealth is not eternal. Wealth is like a flower. It is beautiful in the moment, but it too will eventually pass. He uses terms like fade away, wither, perish, pass away. And the imagery that James is pushing into your heads is death. No matter how rich or poor a person is, isn't their end the same? Death. But there is a deeper danger that James wants to warn you of. Brothers and sisters, when you look carefully at the text, what we see is that James is not just talking about a physical death, but a spiritual one. If you look at verse 11, it says this, So also will the rich man fade away, not at his last breath, but in the midst of his pursuits. The rich person in his chase dies much sooner than his last breath. When money becomes your all in all and your only sense of security in this life, what you will find is that eventually it will avail to nothing. Yet so often we chase after it as if it were our everything. Don't lose yourself chasing after something that can only solve your problems in the here and now. 
The next temptation that we see is in verses 13 through 15, and what it basically is saying is this. When you feel like you can't beat the sin that you have in your life, it becomes easy for us to divert responsibility. And this is what I call, if you can't beat them, join them. If you keep falling to sin, stop pointing at yourself. Point it to God. And we rationalize our own failings by saying, well, God is in control of everything, right? If God is in control of everything, then he must be the one tempting me. He must be the one causing my failure. But what James reminds you and I of today is that when you are being tempted, you are being tempted by your own desires. The secret evils that we hold in our hearts, we are responsible for because God cannot tempt you. It is against his perfect and good nature. Yet so often when you and I sin, don't we find every excuse? Any excuse to not take responsibility. When is the last time you apologized with a full stop after taking responsibility for your actions? So often, instead, we are willing to say that we are responsible as long as after we confess, we get to give our case to why it actually wasn't our fault. We hide in our shame. We wallow in our failure, and we refuse to believe that we have any weakness in ourselves, so much so that we are willing to blame a holy, righteous, and good God for our own shortcomings and sinfulness. The last temptation that you and I are faced with when our backs are against the wall is believing that you did everything. In verses 16 through 17, it says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. All of us have have moments when our backs were against the wall, and all of us have had moments where somehow we get through the thing. And it feels miraculous. And in that moment, it is easy for you and I to believe that we were able to get ourselves through the end You are deceived when you believe that because of your own will, your own determination, your own plan, you succeeded to the end. But James reminds you and I today that every good gift and every perfect gift is from our Heavenly Father. He gave you what you needed, yet we are so easily deceived to not give thanks to our God who watches over us daily who provides for us, and who gives generously all things that are good in this life. Now, we've talked a lot about the temptations, and you're probably over it by now. But we have to ask the hard question now. We have to ask ourselves the question, have we fallen into temptation? Maybe not these specific three, but something else. How many of us are putting our faith in anything else right now other than God, how many of us have fallen to temptation when our backs were against the wall? Now, you might be wondering, like I am, will I ever make it to the end? Will I ever receive the crown of life? And this leads me to my second point, the promise. If we look at verse 12 together, again, it says this, 
Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Many of us in our brain, when we think about resisting temptation and a Christian life, we stop right here in our passage and we think to ourselves, to resist temptation, to make it to the end just means that I got to just push a little bit harder. I just need a little bit more time to get myself right with God. I need better habits. That's what it means to be steadfast, right? You need to double down on your plan and muster up all your strength so that you can fight your way to the end, similar to those inspirational videos where people are literally crawling across the finish line because they're so tired. But the problem is that when we have this mentality of working a little bit harder is that eventually you will get exhausted. It might work for a little while. You actually might be able to resist your sin for a certain amount of time, but you are bound to get exhausted because what you have ultimately done is put your hope in yourself. Now, it's a great thing. It's an amazing thing to work hard in this life. But you, it can never be to the point where you are really just putting your hope in yourself instead of God. And when we put our faith in ourselves, it is, not, it is no longer a living faith. It is a dead one. We won't make it to the end in this way. When you read the entirety of verse 12, what you find is that you can be steadfast in this life, not because of your ability, strength, not because of your wit and intelligence, not because of your giftedness, but because of something actually outside of yourself. Verse 12 in its entirety says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You see, the crown of life is not given to you because of what you have done. The crown of life is ultimately given to you because God has promised it to you. And this means God will see you to your end. Brothers and sisters, look with me at the tense of this verb. It doesn't say God will promise. It doesn't say God promises to, depending on how well you do it. It's not a promise that is up in the air or waiting to happen. It says God has promised. Full stop. It is done. It is finished. It is declared by our Heavenly Father. Before you could run this race, this race was won for you. Your lives are not based on your human frailty, but your life and your reward is based on a promise and God's declaration over your life. Yes, you are called to remain steadfast in this life, but you can remain steadfast in this life not because you have the ability to overcome without failure, but because God is the God who promises to see you to the end. And the fact that God is an unchanging God is the best news we can hear. If you look at verse 17, it says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, 
with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God, according to James, is one without variation or change. And this is good news for you and I because we live in a world that is always changing. You and I are always changing. We change in our thoughts and in our beliefs. We, change, we turn from hot to cold, cold to hot. We go from obedience to disobedience, back and forth. We change according to the circumstances of our lives. We change when we're put in situations when our backs are against the wall. Just, living, just looking over this past year, you're probably surprised how much you have changed. Some for the better, some for the worse. But God, but God is one who does not change. He is a God without variation, and this is great news because the God who does not change has made a promise to you, which means he doesn't change his mind about you. He doesn't react the way that we react. He doesn't say, you know what? John hasn't been on a hot streak lately. Let's take him off the crown of life list. I've heard of stories where extremely wealthy parents start telling their kids when they start acting up, if you keep acting this way, I'm going to take you off the inheritance. I never had that problem, but extremely wealthy kids, you know. That is not our God. We do not have a God that answers and wavers back to the chaos of the world. He doesn't treat you with the same standards that we treat one another. Instead, his promise is sure and final. Verse 18 further reveals this point when it says, God willed. God willed. It was in his will before you were even created that you would be brought forth by the truth of his word, which means you are bound to God, an unchanging God. God is not in love or infatuated with your future improved self. He's not waiting for you to get yourself together. He doesn't just love your past self when you used to be passionate about God during your college years. No, he loves you in this moment with all your good works and also with your failures. He promises to see you to your end. Our living God, all-powerful and almighty, promises to see you to your end so why are you putting your faith in something that cannot see you to the end? And so knowing this, run steadfast in this life and put your faith in God, which leads me to my last point, the race. What does a steadfast life look like? There's a story of a professional lawnmower specialist and in the small town that he works in, uh, he is famous. He is known for his lawn mowing skills at the local high school football stadium. And what he is known for is his ability to mow a straight lawn. It doesn't bend. There's no crooked spots. It's straight. It's perfect. And so finally someone asks him, how do you mow such a straight lawn? And he says, people make the mistake of looking down 
at the line that they're creating. And when they look down at the line and they're just trying to keep it straight the whole time, what ends up happening is they correct and overcorrect. And by the end of it all, it's all crooked and wavy. And he says the trick to actually mowing a straight lawn is not by looking down at the line you are making, but rather simply looking to the end. Look at the goal. Don't keep your eyes off of it. And that is how you create a straight line. And this is how we live a steadfast life. If our crown of life is based on a promise by God, then look to God. Look to Jesus, our Savior, who has run this race before you and has won this race before you. He will show you how to endure and remain steadfast. We see this same concept of us, all of us being in a race that we need to complete in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Like James, the author of Hebrews, describes life as a race. And he calls you, God's people, to lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. But the way that we are able to endure is by looking to Jesus looking to Jesus, for he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. How often do we think that we are the founder and perfecter of our faith? Jesus is. Look to Jesus when you fail and ask for forgiveness. Look to Jesus when you succeed and give him thanks. Remember his true and eternal promises for your life. So often as Christians, for some weird reason, we think that a steadfast life is a sprint. But the way that Bible, the Bible describes a steadfast life is one of endurance, with ups and downs. When you fail, a steadfast life means that you don't have to keep wallowing in your sins. You don't have to feel like you need to give up because the Christian life is too hard. You don't have to keep relying on yourself to get better. You, you don't have to keep wishing for a better and different life. Don't give up because you failed, but continue on. Repent. Learn to hate sin. Turn to Jesus, for he is not taking your inheritance from you. That is why week in and week out, we confess together as one church family. We know we aren't perfect. You know you guys aren't perfect. <laughs> we continue to sin. But the good news is that week in and week out, we are not left at our confession. But rather, every week, we end with the declaration that Jesus forgives you. 
that if you confess, he does not leave you in your sin, but he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you not of some of your unrighteousness, but all of your unrighteousness. Confess boldly. He is faithful to forgive. Stop thinking you can change yourself. Grace will forgive you and change you. At the same time, look to the victory that Jesus has won for you. James 1.18 says that you have been brought forth by the word of truth, being like a kind of firstfruits of God's creation. And what this simply is saying is this. You are a new creation. You are not the same. Remember your identity in Christ. You are not just sinners. You aren't just your failures, but you are also saints. You are victorious. You are children of God who have the Holy Spirit who indwells in you. Jesus has broken your chains and slavery to sin. So why do we go back to them? Lean on Christ, pray to him. Why do we keep thinking he won't help us? Run steadfast. For many of you, you are probably having your backs against the wall right now. But this is not the time to boast in your accomplishments, your abilities, your assets. But boast in the power and glory of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. Boast in Christ's death and humiliation. Boast in Christ's resurrection and exaltation. Look to Christ. He will see you to the end. Would you join with me in prayer? Father God, we come before you today in awe of your grace and your gospel. That you are a God who promises to see us to the end. We thank you for your son Jesus who has won this race for us. Help us to look to him always, to put our faith in him. Help us to turn our eyes away from sin and other false promises of the world that we might run steadfast. We are thankful and grateful that you have promised us the crown of life. Thank you for being with us always. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.